My guest today is Louise Green, founder of Big Fit Girl. She is a coach, an award-winning trainer, an author, an influencer, and an activist. Louise has made it her life's work to change the narrative and idealistic standards of fitness culture. We talk about plus-size fitness and the barriers that exist in society, the body positive movement, and how it's almost always our minds that hold us back and not our bodies when it comes to fitness and physical activity. It is a fascinating conversation with Louise, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. Welcome to the Around the Campfire podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child, but I believe it also takes a village to raise a mom. I'm your host, Jillian Benke, the founder of Mom Camp. And each episode, I chat with busy moms who are doing awesome things in life and work. Join us for real conversation and community, because this is your village. This is the Around the Campfire podcast. Hi, Louise, and welcome to the Around the Campfire podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Finally, we get to do this. <laughs> it's awesome. It took us a while to uh, to get a time scheduled, but you had a very busy last quarter of 2019. So thank you. Thank you for making time now. Yeah. So can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, your life, who you're a mom to, etc. Sure. So my name is Louise Green. And by trade, I'm a personal trainer. But it's funny when people ask me what I do for a living, I don't even know how to answer them anymore because I don't really train people physically anymore. I um, have an online business platform called Big Fit Girl, which um, is fitness and body image uh, coaching designed for the plus size demographic. Um, so it, it, it takes me in all kinds of directions. I work with brands, I speak on stages, I coach women. So I really don't even know what I do, like how to articulate that anymore (laughs) uh, without getting into a big long speech about it. But, um, that's really what I do. I'm a mom to a 12 year old boy. His name is Eli and we live in Lynn Valley and he's a great kid. I love being his mom. Awesome. We are both in North Vancouver. That's fantastic. So I guess you could say it's a platform. And since you started it, you've kind of, you've become known as a bit of a revolutionary in the world of plus size athletics and fitness. How did that all get started for you? Um, well, I started as a personal trainer, as I mentioned, and I opened up a boot camp in Vancouver, in North Vancouver specifically, uh, called Body Exchange. And it was a boot camp that I marketed as exclusive to plus size women. And the one word exclusive really caught the media's attention. Mm. And um, it, it, like when I opened my business, the Globe and Mail showed up and did a full, full spread on it. So within the first week of my business, I had national media attention because of focusing on this one demographic that had never really been done before. And then the media kind of got nasty with it. Like I was being exclusionary and there was all this, you know, then the the province put it on the front page of their weekend edition Mm. and it, it just went crazy. And it was, you know, the headline was gym banned skinny people. And really, um, 
you know, that that really wasn't what it was about at all. What I what it started out as is creating a safe space for people, for women specifically, who really felt sidelined by fitness culture to find a place where they could go without the intimidation. Because I don't think a lot of people understand the level of fear and intimidation people feel around moving their bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and I personally do. I mean, I I I went through a weight loss journey. I uh, I definitely know just from even back when I was at my my highest size on the label. Um, you know, I had breathing problems and my body hurt and I didn't move the same way. And I totally I totally get that. Yeah, and so there's there's that aspect of it where you go into fitness spaces and you're kind of um I find a lot of fitness spaces are designed for already fit people Mm -hmm. and so we we have the physical limitations but more so what I have found is the social and societal barriers that people face just based on what it means to be healthy what it means to be athletic um when you look at any health and media, health and uh, fitness advertising or media messaging, there is never size diversity included in a positive light. It's always the before picture, the body that's rejected, or it's, you know, if I go to look for stock photography for any of my websites, it's some fat person slumped over a treadmill eating a donut. Like we don't have positive imagery and messaging around fitness in size diversity. It doesn't exist. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But have you seen, because you started your business back in 2007, have you seen a shift at all in that, in the market and in messaging and and uh, representation? I definitely have. So the articles that I was speaking about in the Globe and Mail and the province paper mm-hmm. were back in you know the early days of running my business where it was just shocking that I would try to liberate large people like how dare you and now there's a body positive movement that's really fueling and so you'll see mainstream magazines not so much not they're mainstream magazines they're not celebrating size diversity in mainstream but they will do the token article so I've been featured in magazines like triathlete which is a magazine that's very elite but they are starting to open the doors to hey there's this other audience um that is gaining popularity and gaining liberation that we now want to be more inclusive of it still has such a long way to go you won't see gyms or um you know like supplement products or anything that is related to health and fitness in marketing, you'll very rarely Mm. see size diversity in that. Right. Right. I know sometimes for the, um, like a rec center, a community center, you might see it a little more because they do feature members, but, uh, you're right in the mainstream large brand gyms and things like that. You don't, because, you know, it's interesting. It's, Health should be the ideal, not a size, not a number on a scale. Um, I was thinking about this as I was getting ready to chat with you because what I'm seeing, I'm seeing the body positive movement and it's not just about weight. It's about cellulite. It's about small boobs versus big boobs. It's, you know, it's, there's a whole bunch of different messaging out there and it seems like 
what's being considered, you know, outside of the cultural norm is so prevalent that it's almost what's been considered abnormal is actually normal. So I don't understand really why those perfect ideals, quote unquote, perfect, um, still exist when everybody that you see that's, you know, congratulating somebody on a body positive message or body confident message is saying me too, right? It's, yeah, how are those ideals still so prevalent? They're prevalent because of commerce. It's being built on the back of let's, let's make, you know, let's create this ideal. Cause I mean, for many years I would look at magazines it, and uh, I would I would think there you know there's something wrong with me and there's like some mm. very strong statistics out there that when we look at airbrushed photoshopped uh, images the negative thoughts that we start to have about ourselves become very heightened mm-hmm. um, and so I'm 48 now so I'm kind of on to this right like I I've, I I know what's going on but but I didn't when I was 20. And that's what's more concerning to me is that teen girls mm-hmm. and young women are still, they're still following the Instagram accounts that are filtered and altered. Like the stats on how many people um, alter their own images on social media are so high in, in oh, yeah. that age group. So, so we're still pumping out things that aren't real. And then that, that turns into, um, you know, there's something wrong with ourselves because we can't, we can't live up to this certain ideal. And I think that companies, they definitely continue to push out that messaging because it sells. Mm -hmm. If if I think that my wrinkles are wrong, I'm going to buy your cream. Absolutely. Yeah. It's teaching you that there's something wrong with you, but we have the solution, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's I, I'm glad that there are people with platforms like yours out there to help change that narrative because it's it's so um, it's just scary how it's it goes in under the radar and you don't actually until you stop and take notice of the messaging you're receiving and the comparison game and all of that, you don't even realize it and it's already formed your own mental like your own personal narrative, right? Yes. Um, one of the, one of the things that, um, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll ask, you can go ahead with your question. Sorry. I I lost my train of thought there for a second. (laughs) Okay. Well, if you come back to it, no problem. Um, I was wondering how do you respond? I saw something on your Instagram recently in response to the, um, Jillian Michaels and Lizzo, comment. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you respond to people that talk about health issues and the health issues connection to a higher weight? Well, one of the things that has always been prevalent in higher weight, uh, the demographic is that there's this, there is an assumption. Mm. So, I mean, we can't 100% 100% deny that there can be complications if your weight is higher. But sure. we can't blanket wash millions of people with your not just you're unhealthy but you're lazy. Mm-hmm. You know there's all there's all kinds of stereotypes that come along with being higher weight. Yeah, um right. and so what happens because of that like you say previously about that 
like very um, subtle, it's actually not very subtle, but subtle brainwashing that we all go through every single day with imagery and messaging. We're also getting that in, in the messaging around higher weight people. So we automatically assume that people are unhealthy, they're undisciplined, they're lazy, they must eat McDonald's every day. Mm. Um, And that's what I felt so self-defeating about is that I was exercising pretty intensely. Like a lot of my friends would be like, you exercise more than anyone I know, eating for the most part pretty healthy. And my body was always bigger and heavier. Mm -hmm. And even sometimes when I didn't look that heavy, I weighed a lot. So I would go to these weight loss programs and they would be like, Oh, you're way out of your BMI. But I didn't have that much body fat. It was just I'm heavy. Mm -hmm. Like I do have body fat now. But back in the day when I was like, you know, in my 20s, like, I look back on what I thought was enormous. Oh, I know. And and I'm like, I wasn't even like, that wasn't, you know, that that felt good. That Mm -hmm. would feel good. And I was being told, like, I still needed to lose 50 pounds. So we're still on this BMI system. I can't stand it. I mean, I... The, I, it's always been a problem for me. And they've always said, oh, you fall into the obese category or whatever, even when I was running half marathons, you know? Totally. And and I was the same. Like I was putting on some heavy, heavy running mileage every week mm-hmm. um, and like eating, eating to fuel that. I was eating right. like in abundance to fuel that, but eating pretty, pretty healthy to, to, to perform. And um you know, still a certain body weight that was deemed obese. And, mm-hmm. and even just the word, like it has, because there's so much negative connotation around totally. the word obese, um, even just being told when you go to your doctor, like, oh, you're obese, or whatever the next thing is after obese, like, you know, morbidly obese, or right. there's, there's stages of obesity that they tell you you are. I don't know, it's an archaic system. And I just think that there's so much weight, quote unquote, attached to mm-hmm. being higher weight um, from society that, um, and that's where the fat phobia comes from, is that people are scared to be fat because of how people are treated. They should be totally. scared. <laughs> totally. I remember when I, I went to a weight loss program, I won't say which one, um, and I reached my goal weight and I was feeling really good and I started running. And I was eating, as you say, to fuel the running. And I had to check in every month. And if I went outside that sort of two pounds up or down window, mm-hmm. I would have to pay the fee. And then if I was within that window, I wouldn't have to pay. So there was this financial incentive to stay within the window. And I, I was running. I was training for my first half marathon. And I was gaining weight. And I was smaller because I could feel it in my clothes, but I was gaining weight and they wouldn't hear it. They financially penalized me. You know, I mean, we're talking $18 or something, but still they there was a financial penalty for me actually getting healthier. Yeah. And it was all about the number on the scale. And that was pretty much the day I left. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, I... I- I do believe that, you know, standing on a scale can give you some indications to how you're progressing in certain ways. But I coach people to not ever gauge that as the 
as the driving force to whether you're healthy and fit. No, of course. I mean, I really liked what you said on Instagram about Lizzo because she, I couldn't do what she does, you know, the dancing on the stage and the singing and, you know, just putting out so much extreme energy and being so very talented. And for extended periods of time, I would be, you know, on the ground. Absolutely. And she can't be unhealthy to be able to maintain that. You also have to look at like genetics and heritage and mm-hmm. um, the different ways our bodies and our heritage impact that. So that's another reason why when you go to see, I come from my dad's side of the family. My grandmother is um, Manx. So she's from the Isle of Man. Now the mm-hmm. Isle of Man <clears throat> is influxed by Viking people you know, mm. in in the very, very early days. And so I have this body type that is pretty stout. And again, I would look at running magazines. I would look at, um, you know, when I was chronically dieting, there really wasn't social media. Right. Um, so I would look at ma- basically fashion and health magazines and equate, like, why can't I get my crap together like why can't and I internalize that failure as my own every single day Mm. so it's I just I personally when I found freedom from that have made it my life's work every single day to make sure especially young women but women in general don't live in failure mentality every day of their life because what's happening on a grander scale I believe is that men are taking the power positions. And I think it's because they're not preoccupied by this, this insanity to become, you know, like, it's almost like Naomi Wolf has the best uh, quote, and I'm going to find it while we're talking, but, um, but men, I think men find value in ways differently. They find it on Mm -hmm. their wealth they find it from their success. They sometimes find it from their who's on their arm, mm-hmm. um, the car that they drive. You know, this, this, these are the external things. But women have been conditioned from, like, we're talking like two years old to believe that our worth and our power is in our beauty. Yeah, you're right. That's a very, very good point. Okay, I found um, this quote. Can I say it? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So Naomi Wolf is the author of The Beauty Myth, which is a very feminist, radical book. But it says, a culture fixated on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty, but an obsession about female obedience. Mm. Dieting is the most potent political sedative in women's history. A quietly mad population is a tractable one. Wow. I think like that really on, um, if you look at, if, if I could step back further and further and further away, cause I don't know any woman who is not, I won't say fixated cause, cause maybe that's too strong of a word, but I don't know any woman who's not, um, pretty Aware. preoccupied by how they look, whether it be, I'm getting too old, I'm getting too fat. I look like soccer mom, like, you know, like there's, there's 
there's something going on with women that there's this preoccupation about appearance and Mm -hmm. it is taking away because we only have so much mental real estate. It is taking away from doing the work in the world that really matters. You're absolutely right. So what, what do you say to women just getting started when they've been uncomfortable going to a gym? They, they want to feel better. It's not, you know, maybe it's about appearance, maybe it's not, but they want to get started in something. What do you say to them to make it okay and to help them start to shift that mindset? Well, a lot of the women I work with, um, don't necessarily like I work with mainly and mostly the plus size population. So Mm -hmm. what I've come to realize about that population and any of the work that I do, whether it be, you know, I was just in Chicago in November um, at an ad conference talking about the marketing message and the talk was on sizeism. And what I found most surprising about that talk, because it was a really big audience is the women that came up to me afterwards were not plus size. They, mm. they, they were women that shouldn't be faced with sizeism. But because of what I just previously talked about, most women I know feel fat. Mm-hmm. They have that fat mentality because, um, or their body's not good enough in some way. Mm-hmm. So it actually isn't even a plus size uh problem or or a plus size barrier it's it's a female barrier and so when I say I the women I work with um don't necessarily go right into the gym they'll they'll um start with maybe doing workouts in their home start um walking or they'll start doing something that feels comfortable to them so that they can gain some physical and self-esteem confidence before they walk Mm -hmm. in into gym spaces. So I have worked with women that have been completely sedentary, um, pretty large bodies, and they start in my coaching program um, at home. And Mm -hmm. now they go to the gym four days a week, and they're in the men's lifting section of the gym, pumping iron with the guys. Awesome. So it is, it's, it's not, it's, it's really about um, what I really find puzzling and, and a little bit, uh, yeah, just puzzling is that we tend to want to coach people physically through these when it's so much more a mental issue. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now you have a new app that's just come out, correct? Mm -hmm. So what does that do as part of the support that you give to your, your community? Well, one, one of the things that I, I heard loud and clear, especially when I was on the road is people don't know how to start. They don't know where to go. They're too intimidated. Um, and so the app was basically designed to give people that opportunity to, to do what we just talked about, like get in, get, build their physical and, and, um, emotional and psychological confidence at home Mm -hmm. because I think what happens is people just don't think they can do it I I think people really underestimate their bodies 
Yeah. Our minds are the one that are holding us back. It's not the body. The body oh, 100%. will... 100%. Yeah, like, you know, you've run, a, you've run long distances, right? Mm-hmm. Every week you show up incrementally, lace up your shoes and go out there, the body's going to adapt to demand. It will. But if your mind is saying every single time, you can't do this, you're not worthy of this, you're not going to succeed. No, you're right. It's my mind will always give out before my body will. And it's typically around mile 11. <laughs> Can you put that into kilometers for me? Because I'm always, I'm tapping out at 17. Okay. So I, the reason I say miles is because my first ever half marathon was a Disney one and okay. it was in the States. So a uh, half marathon is 13.1 miles. Yeah. So it would be, and that's 26. So, uh, Hold on. it would I, be around I, like 22, 21 is when I, my, my brain shuts down. My body will start to, you know, feel it, which messes with my brain earlier than that. But I remember one particular half marathon again at Disney. I can picture it clear as day. My mind just stopped. And I, you know, there were tears. I, you know, started to have a panic attack and it was completely mental. Yeah. So I just did the calculation. 11 miles is 17.6 kilometers. Okay, there you go. So it's exactly exactly the same way. It's like, like, oh God, like I've got, you know, it's almost another 5K after that and you're Mm -hmm. just dying. Um, Yeah, so, so, so the app was really designed to give people that confidence so that they, and I say to people all the time, the last thing I want you to do is buy this app and stay in your basement and work out alone for the rest of your life. This app is designed to build a foundation so that you can go out into the world and stand up paddleboard and walk a 5K or run a half marathon and go live your life. This is a foundation thing. That's awesome. And the other thing that we did in the app that I really heard loud and clear from the audience was people that lacked mobility, people that couldn't stand up for a workout. Mm. Um, so there's a whole chair, a chair um, sequence in there because this is a forgotten market. That's so fantastic. Yeah. Once somebody has lost their mobility, sorry, good luck trying yeah. to get physical again. So that um, has been huge because the biggest feedback we've got is from the chair people. Like, thank God. And I, and they're not easy workouts. They're getting a no. sweat. And then what we do is we have a chair assisted piece in there where they can do some seated and then some holding onto a chair and then get that person into a standing position and then, you know, on your bike and into life. Awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. And what is the app called? Is it called Big Fit Girl or... It's called Big Fit Girl, and it is on uh, Apple iTunes and Google Play and also on Vimeo OTT. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, that's so good. All right. So now into some mom questions because this is mom camp around the campfire. (laughs) Were you already a mom when you started your business? I'm not going to do the math back to when you started. It was. I started my business on maternity leave. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was a talent agent, um, and I worked in the film industry, and I was working at least 10-hour days, and I just knew oh. once I had a baby, that wasn't going to be something I wanted to do. Right, right. Okay, so then he has always known you as an entrepreneur. Yes. Awesome. And uh, how do you... Um, 
I I don't know how to ask this question. Um, when kids grow up with healthy messaging, um, that just becomes normal for them. Um, do you ever see him come home with, you know, he's observed something about plus size messaging and the narrative that you're trying to change? Um, he definitely comments a lot about it around the house. So, um, like if I, if he, like, he's very involved in my business because he's also an entrepreneur. Like he's through and through, he's going to be an entrepreneur. He's very, it's very evident. Um, uh, so he'll, like, he's setting up my YouTube channel. Um, he's right into it. He loves the app. Um, and like, I'll say, I'm doing this challenge and he'll be like, yeah, but not, not so everyone can go lose weight. It's to like empower people. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I just really, the most important thing for me is for him to see a woman unapologetically loving herself and going after her dreams. Um, And, and that's the type of woman I want him to be with. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Okay. So how do you, as a busy mom building this business with your son, how do you define balance? Um, you know what? Can I just be totally honest? <laughs> no, you must lie throughout this entire episode. <laughs> I'm no good at lying. Um, so I struggle very much with balance. Um, okay. I have some pretty serious workaholism um, things that I need to work on. Mm. Um, it, it's difficult for me because I'm, I'm very passionate about what I do. So it doesn't feel like work. Um, but my life is pretty much about uh, being a mom and then you know, doing my own workouts and working. That's what I do. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so do you take time for self-care besides the workouts? Yeah. So I, I definitely like will go for massages or I go to like uh, big feet. I don't know if you go there, the, the reflexology place. I just joined Y yoga. So I'm doing hot yoga classes, which to me feels very self-care. It's, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like working out to me. It feels like meditation and, um, but I've really in 2020 started to put in more practice in the, in the meditation and, um, like the quietness of life. So, um, I, the, the nature of my work is it can be very, very busy. And then I have to go with that. And then I take the time when it's not to kind of be more mindful of self-care, mm-hmm. but when it's all systems go, there is no self-care. No, that's for sure. It's sort of like you go in sprints yeah. and then and then there's recovery mode, right? I think yeah. the important thing is to intentionally take that recovery time and not just keep rolling into the next sprint, right? Exactly. And like I coached my ladies um, to do as well is, you know, like some of one woman comes to mind recently that has a special needs child who there just isn't, she can't do the self care. Like Mm -hmm. she did, her life was just as such that she couldn't. And I just said in those moments, and this is what I do as well is to just take 
you know, maybe you're waiting for your next meeting and you've got 10 minutes, just close mm-hmm. your eyes and just exactly. try to zen out, like take, take whatever, any single moment that you can to just, you know, really come back to center. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes practice to yeah. even think of it, right? And not just to zone out and go down the scroll hole on your phone yes, or whatever. Totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to make meditation a practice this year. And even then, you know, some mornings I just, I forget to do it. And then if I don't do it before the kids are up, it's not happening, right? Yeah. It's sort of like my workout, but. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. What is the next big thing you are working on? That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> so I'm sort of, you know, you don't have to have an next big thing. No, um, I, I am putting together a book proposal Um, I was in the running for a book with a specific publisher that I just found out that I, that I was not the chosen writer for, Mm. um, which is fine because it was a subject matter that they had come to me with that they wanted me to write about, which was going to be okay, but it wasn't like the most authentic way I'd like to write a book. So I've been thinking about, um, what, what book I might want to write next um, and potentially going to be p- proposing that out. But I also um, am working with a production company where we're putting together um, a proposal for a television show. Oh, awesome. Um, and so that, you know, the chances of getting on TV, um, this type of concept, because it would basically be a transformational show that isn't about weight loss. It would mm-hmm. be more about taking people from zero to 60 in dramatic life changes and you know conquering big fitness dreams and goals in the body that they have right now right so their mindset like we were saying yeah yeah so I'm not sure that television is ready for that um but I am working with a producer right now to pitch it out awesome so we'll see what happens there and then I really want to focus on my app like I want to build that out more and so that's what I'm going to be doing and of course I I'm always going after more speaking engagements which are really my favorite thing to do oh that's awesome maybe we'll have you speak at mom camp one time yeah that'd be great all right so last two questions first one this next one is my favorite to ask on this show is what is the biggest lesson you have learned as a mom Hmm. <laughs> I know it's a big one, right? <laughs> well, um, I guess on a more personal note, I'm re- I recently went through a separation, so mm. I only have my child half the time now. Okay. Um, which is really not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what I've learned through that and through, I guess the whole time of being a mother is that when I do have them, I want it to be fun. And, and, you know, like we're doing all these exciting things and it's kind of like Disneyland. Um, and that the biggest thing I've learned is that that's not really my role. My role is to guide this human being, um, through life and, and, uh, sure we can have fun and we have a lot of fun, but it's not always going to be fun. It's, it's, right. it's going to be me being your mom. Exactly. You're still the mom. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I mean, when my husband goes away and I, I want to make that week 
as as great as possible. And, you know, we can have so much fun because that I sort of equate that with me doing a good job when really yes. it's if they get out the, the door to school on time and they have packed lunches and, yeah. you know, they're dressed <laughs> and their teeth are brushed, that's me doing a good job. That's, like a, that's a superb job, especially if there's vegetables in that lunch that actually get eaten. <laughs> exactly. Right now, the only vegetables my daughter is eating is pickles. So I'm taking oh, it in. <laughs> <laughs> you know it works you know <laughs> I think that I think that that's such so valid is that like I I I just want to be like this this best mom and there's a lot of pressure around that yeah. and um you know sometimes that that's at the cost of my own self-care so mm-hmm. um I always want our house to be the hub where all the kids come and it is. And, you know, I had like a house full yesterday, but that's always the best thing for me. Um, So just, just to really like acknowledge that no matter whether I am Disney mom or just mom, I'm still mom. Mm -hmm. And that is, that comes with the greatness of, of just the word. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a good reminder for sure. All right. How can our listeners connect with you, find out more, all of the places? Um, I seem to be most most active on Instagram. So that is Louise Green underscore Big Fit Girl. I have a website, which is louisegreen.ca. And on Facebook, it's louisegreen.bigfitgirl. Mm, okay. That's awesome. And Instagram is the place primarily. Primarily, I post there every day. Um, and that's where like I talk about what I'm my coaching programs and things that I'm doing. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's mainly where I'm going to be. Awesome. Well, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for the work that you are doing. I think It's so important and not enough people are doing it and it takes courage and it takes tenacity and commitment. And I just really want to thank you for being that voice uh, for so many and shining a light on an issue that some people don't even realize is an issue uh, because maybe it hasn't affected them directly in that way, but uh, it's, it's very important. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. It's been a really great to chat to you. All right, mamas, that's it for today. For more info about this episode, you can check out the show notes at momcamplife.com slash podcast. Hang out with us on Instagram at momcamplife. And if you love this episode, please share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in and join us next time around the campfire.